0: And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today.
1: So once again, no smoking in this theater. Mm.
0: Oh, shit. Are no, we I just would, starting?
1: Okay. I would explain any bit. Uh, it, thought we have it have it I thought we were
0: going to no, have no, a clean gonna No, no, of Jason course Jason not. Of course starts.
1: not. I, I do need no. to know. Can we get through this without mentioning the name of the movie? I need to know how Cody feels about the first and opening shot of this movie. It is both video games. And baseball. What? Oh, where, where did tell you land on this?
2: Gotta tell you, um, seeing this at the at the at the Trilawn Cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Which maybe we'll talk about <laughs> later. Who's to say? Uh, <laughs> and, and forgetting that this was the first shot of the movie that we're about to talk about, which I won't say the name of because that would be uncouth. It's but uh, yeah, we're, we're talking Moneyball today. No, it's, uh, <laughs> again, <laughs> it's our first ever follow up episode <laughs> <laughs> back for more. Uh, it took me, I it took everything I had to not jump out of my seat and cheer, make it really uncomfortable for the sold out house. Uh, the sold out audit, like it was, a, it was a packed house. Um, it was amazing. Wow. I, uh, I, yeah, and then Love it was that. all downhill from there, obviously.
0: But I have to yeah. call BS, Cody. I mean, look, Cody is not a fan of the video game chat, but Cody does play baseball video, old school baseball video games. It's true. One you're always it must playing, said, playing and, uh, backyard, the
1: baseball. backyard baseball, yeah, backyard
0: baseball. You ever played this one? You ever played?
1: No. Hardball. No.
0: Hard. Hard.
2: Yeah, whatever. This one seemed to be beyond my difficulty level. I was
0: just hardball. It's called hardball. It's one of the hardball games. There's like seven of them, but it's one. I don't think I'm
2: equipped or coordinated enough to to swing that uh, game. Well,
1: I. But thank you for asking. I don't yeah, know. thank you for <laughs> teeing me up. Then uh, oh, for the beginning of our Ooh, yeah. See, Aaron's always dogging on me for my transitions. That one's a pretty good run, right? That was good. Knocked it, it, good. it out of you the don't park. Point it thank out, thank you
0: pointed out though. You fucked it up because you pointed it out. I called
1: I my shot. It. Okay, I called my the shot. You need, like you need a chorus of resounding a's whenever you get a good uh, <laughs> transition. Uh, thank you so much for listening to try you that one on the park, Jason. Hey, thank continue. you literal roundtable podcast where we talk about movies we saw people we met or things we did at the trial and cinema in minneapolis minnesota you can find us on twitter at trial of podcast find the trial on at trial on cinema and at trial my name is jason Daphnis. uh in my day books were sorry when i was your age television was called books i'm so sorry i got Ooh, my transition you want to just go I'm ahead and,
3: <laughs> and <laughs> thank you so much for listening to it it right Trialove, the Literal the a podcast right. about
1: movies we saw at the trial on cinema in minneapolis minnesota you can find us on twitter trial podcast you can find the trial on at trial on cinema and at trial i'm jason Daphnis, one of your producers and hosts when I was your age, television was called Books, and you can find me on Twitter at Nintendufus. I've been mostly dead all day. I'm Cody Narvison, and you can find me on Twitter at Cody BH.
2: Hello, my name is Harry Mackin. You are listening to my podcast, Prepare for Takes.
0: My name is Aaron. Australia is entirely peopled with criminals, and you can find me on Twitter at rbplease
1: uh this movie it played at the, tri- uh, the trial on uh, as part of a, a just a two set i guess you'll have maybe one more chance to see it is am i right cody about that maybe i forget it started friday oh, if they um, i think it's one showing friday one showing
2: saturday and one showing mm, sunday without giving away when we're recording yeah but you missed it listener. you missed it
1: check it out it's widely available check it out um but i should explain a quick bit uh so in this film, there's a swamp where fire belches from holes in the ground. And before that fire appears, you hear a popping sound, distinctive popping sound. It sounds a little bit like this. Whenever we have our hottest takes, you prep me, guys. Mm-hmm. You let me know okay. so that we can all be aware that a hot oh. take is coming. I'll play that sound and then you can let let the bomb drop. It'd be Are very we going to have hot takes
4: just,
2: about this if
1: episode? We, it would be very funny if we one. never get to deploy <laughs> Okay, sound sure. effect. Yeah.
2: Uh, but you didn't, didn't want You didn't think to bust that, that out when I said moments ago, the opening shot of this film is the high point of the movie, and then it was all <laughs> downhill from there.
1: <laughs> ah! See, that's one of the use cases. Listen, keep an ear out for that noise and for the verbal cue that will be somebody explaining that a hot take is coming. But uh, before all of that comes into play, you'll listen to Aaron explain uh, the movie and what it's about before we start talking about it. Aaron.
0: Yes, we are talking about The Princess Bride, 1987 film directed by Rob Reiner. Uh, the film is an adaptation – I did not know this – an adaptation of William Goldman's 1973 novel of the same name that I didn't know existed. Uh, he also wrote
4: the screenplay to this That movie. was
0: my next one. Yeah. Oh, and I'm Goldman sorry. Goldman also I wrote the have, screenplay. Yeah. No, no, it's good. It's good. Uh, yes, he also wrote the screenplay to the film. Uh, the film uh, kind of starts with – and the framing device for is this grandfather played by Peter Falk uh, reading a bedtime story to his grandson played by Fred Savage. Uh, the story that he's reading is kind of a classic, kind of uh, not a fairy tale, but like a fantasy tale, uh, telling of the romance between uh, a young woman named uh, Buttercup, uh, played by Robin Wright, and her farmhand, Wesley, played by Carrie Elwes, whose name is deceptively hard to pronounce looking at just the text yeah. of it
1: there are so many yeah. uh yeah so few letters
0: elways elways anyway uh wesley is thought of to be killed at sea during a journey and years later buttercup is to be the bride of the young and evil uh prince humperdink played by chris Randon. on the eve of uh her wedding however buttercup is kidnapped by three outlaws, uh, Mandy Patinkin as Inigo Montoya, Nick Grossman as Vizzini, and Andre the Giant as Fezzik. Uh The film was a critical success, and despite not making a massive profit on release, has gone on to do just fine. It's like a, it's a classic. It's not even a cult classic. It is a you know considered one of those films. I didn't grow up with with this movie, so somebody take it from here. Somebody start spitting out. The millions oh, of times you've seen it yeah. growing up, the. No, I'll. All of I'll, that. I'll have. I'll I wondered about there, right? this. Yeah. I, 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 wondered if,
4: I wondered if uh, uh, Aaron was going to hit us with a Breath of the Wild type take where he says I, that his take is super thing. hot, but it's just no, like, no, no, oh, I, do I just, just don't like it quite as much as everybody else. I, do have a, <laughs> uh,
0: I, I mean, I do, I do have a semi. Uh-huh. I have a take semi <laughs> like that if you'd like me to start. No, no, I was going to start with We can start with Jason. Let's start with Jason.
1: Let's start on our high point and sort of go downhill from there, as Cody once said. I this movie was one that I have seen a bunch of times. It was one of those that, like a Monty Python, like a fucking, in my house, Donnie Darko, just movies that get, like, seen and quoted, and yeah. Know, Donnie okay, Darko? Yeah. My older sister got a VHS from a friend, and we just, we had so few things that we actually liked watching. It was like this, Totoro, Ru- uh, Rush Hour, um, Mrs. Doubtfire, uh, a bunch of old movies on TCM, and, um, and yeah, Donnie Darko. Anyway. Your
4: appreciation of, like, like mid two thousands emo makes a lot more sense now.
3: I would say
1: <laughs> this is the missing piece, huh? A little puzzle piece of Jason. Um, no, I, I I have seen this movie a bunch of times. I've seen it. I think I've seen it. Maybe I saw it at the Uptown once, just on a lark. I forget. But I've seen it a couple of times theatrically and just at home. Um, it is one of those just deep and abiding movies that you just get sort of comfort watch from, or that, that I do anyway. Uh, and it really pervaded, It's one of those that I'm sure everybody has just, just pervaded your vocabulary. As a kid, you were constantly quoting the, the, the Mowage, uh, monologue or, you know, the RUS is thing or, uh, the Vizini sort of, um, dialogue, all that just it's, it feels deeply ingrained to the point where I don't know if criticism is a thing that I can really level against it, even if I like did start to notice, but honestly, and I'm trying to separate it myself as much as I can from just the nostalgia of it. I don't know that I see a whole lot here that's missing. It sort of fires on all cylinders for me. It's just a really well-oiled machine of a movie. But again, that's like through which with retrospect, I'm hoping for a cup. That's why I even devised that sound effect was like, if anybody's got any reasons that like I should fall away from my love for this movie or my like interest in paying attention to it every time I watch it, I watched it this time. I got to introduce um former guest and uh, former roommate, Seth Zerati to the, uh, to the movie last year, uh, when I got the criterion edition. And like he really fell in love with it too. He really had, uh, by the way, RIP, he's rest in Pensington um, or wherever he is. He's currently in London with his mom on vacation. So uh, he would have joined Oy, for this episode had. Oi, oh, oh, uh, I oh, O me, He's um, <laughs> <laughs> Cracked Crocodile Rock and all. Uh, he would have been on this episode had he not been traveling at the time. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, again, there's your like seen it a million times type thing. I've seen it literally at church, I've seen it at a local opera house. Yeah, I know. I grew up in a weird spot of the world. Um, I've seen it at home. I've seen it now. Uh, I, again, I didn't get to see the trail end, but I think I'm pretty sure I saw it at the uptown, maybe it's the uptown of the lagoon or somewhere. Uh, but I've seen it in many different formats, uh, and many different like displays. And it's just one of those that becomes such a part of your childhood that it's hard to separate from like your concept of humor, your like a lot of the timing and a lot of the scripting seems to show up in, I guess your daily vocabulary. It's one of those that, I don't know if, like, again, I exude Princess Bride energy, so to speak, just because it's, you know, 25 years since since I first saw it. But it is one of those that has just seeped in so far that it's just a given thing. This movie will kind of always be there, always comfortable type thing.
4: There's an opera house in Indiana.
2: <clears throat> Cody. Wow, and it's called Cody. That's wild.
1: Uh, small world. Um, is that
4: like a Fitzcarraldo situation where somebody had to like bring it from very far <laughs> away
1: over a mountain or some shit? It's, uh, just for just to set the record straight, Tibbetts Opera House in Coldwater, Michigan, uh, vaunted institution. No, wait,
4: wait, wait. I'm sorry. Yeah. I thought you grew up in Indiana.
1: <clears throat> My origins are a mystery. This, uh, is, this is
4: an inside joke that the podcast listeners will probably not understand.
2: I don't remember if it's come up oh, before, but anyway... Hey, any excuse to invoke the uh, Goldenberry Award-winning film Fitzcarraldo uh, in not a good way? Um, Yeah, um, well, hey, I think you teed me up uh, and us up pretty well there, Jason uh, and Aaron, with that excellent summary. I I got to thinking about this, and I'm going to, I don't know, sort of adjacent conversation, but the other day I was having a conversation with one of my friends about kind of like patent-pending Working title like false nostalgia type of movies where I don't know if I sat down a lot as a kid and watched the Princess Bride, but thing movies like Princess Bride, things like uh, the Mask. Um, I was about to say Jim Carrey's the Mask, but he didn't make the movie. But like movies like that that were deployed a lot on on television, uh, like the rewatchability. Factor just with them being very watchable movies and with cable television, picking them up and just seemingly always having them on. I definitely watched those movies in bits and pieces. And I could confidently say at one point, like, oh, yeah, I've seen those movies and have since sat down with each of those movies and kind of realized, oh, I you know like 2019 i was just looking through letterbox one of the year i got letterboxed within that year i sat down and watched princess bride and had that thought of i don't know if i ever had that sort of relationship with this movie where like it was always around but it was not formative to my my tastes and sensibilities it was always kind of like to what you were saying jason it was always there kind of in the background like it it has been around but it has not necessarily like yeah, like influenced me or like I said, been formative to my like cultural upbringing or anything like that. That being said, um, I like this movie a whole bunch. I I also find it not to say that there isn't anything wrong with it. The one thing I was kicking around rewatching it uh, the other day at the trial on was when at least I and maybe others think about this movie, it's hard not to Gravitate first towards the scenes in my mind that have like the, like the full cast of characters. You think about how this movie is structured. The, the first like 20, 30 minutes and the last 20, 30 minutes have a lot of scenes that are sort of the, when people cite this movie or quote this movie, I feel like that's where a lot of that stuff sort of comes from. And again, my own experience, my own bubble, maybe others' mileages may vary, but the middle sort of 50% of this movie being a largely carry always and Robin Wright um, steered movie. And they are. Blank canvases in the sort of best way possible. Where Carrie always is sort of like this. Really tr- struck me this
4: time around too,
2: Cody. I'm really glad you're bringing this up. Yeah, yeah. And I'll and I'll I'll, I'll try and keep this brief, just so others can kind of expound upon it. But Carrie always, as Wesley, sort of being this excellent deflector for the world around him bugs Bunnying sort of his way through things like not to say that he does it with ease but there's a lot of wit and charm in the process he like kind of master of all types of things and and robin wright certainly pulling her weight as well even though she is again not like a frequently fondly remembered part of this movie i feel in the same way that like mandy patinkin or andre the giant are you remember like their scenes a lot and it's coming back to it. Yeah. That's sort of false memory of like, Oh yeah, they're all over this movie. No, they're actually not really uh, as much. That's, I don't know if that necessarily gets to a hard and fast critique, but it, it is something that struck me about how this movie is structured and how that plays into maybe the, um, like the nostalgia and the things that we generally take away from this movie. Um, there is a lot of good to take away from this movie, I think, um, but just the the types of good things. I don't know. It's that, that fascinated me.
4: Yeah, I think that's really well said, like I alluded to earlier. Um, I have a pretty similar background to this one that Jason does. Um, I own this movie on VHS. Uh, I really heavily associate it with my dad. It was sort of like, it's a great dad movie, right? Because dads always love to be quoting movies. And like this was, especially in the 90s, um, sort of our our big go-to. So we would watch it literally all the time. Um, Weirdly, it... I was going to say it sort of codified my humor um, the way you did, Jason. I think that's very true and codified a lot of my interests in a lot of ways. Um, But uh, that was kind of supplanted in 2000 by uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Which became and continues to be like my A number one dad movie and the movie i've seen the most times probably especially with him um so sort of similar in that like i think that like the way that those movies are both remembered is like for the sharpness of their writing their witty repartee their dialogue um i i still think that's true um i haven't watched this movie in maybe a decade i think is and so i don't know that i have a hot take what i would say is that um it uh it struck me as like distinctly more childish than I remembered it being probably because I was a child when I saw it. Um I guess what I would say is that I think I liked I liked the experience of watching it a bit less than I used to when I was a child, but I think I maybe appreciate what the movie is doing all the more. And I would say that um, even if we can sort of quibble, uh, the the fact that this movie has become the classic that it is, is really, I think, maybe one of the big reasons why I didn't enjoy watching it as much, which is just that, like, it's so ubiquitous. It's like, it's one of those movies that just like, it feels like this movie's come out 10,000 times since, right? Or they're, that just sort of like it was almost such a um, like turning point for an entire genre that there was sort of a before princess bride and an after princess bride. Um, and you could maybe even make the argument that like, unfortunately some of the things princess bride did to the fantasy genre are maybe not the best, <laughs> but I don't think that that's princess bride's fault. Um, what I would like to say is that just like I think that my big takeaway or reading for this movie, um, it's weirdly a little bit like when we talk about Jackie Chan movies, which is just that like um, the I really love that Rob Reiner in this movie is sort of making the point that like just because these move these stories are silly and childish and sort of like over the top does not mean that they are not still having an effect or that they don't still have a place. And I really love how like the form of the medium itself, the form of the film itself um, also reiterates that point, right? Like it's this, it's this idea where like our character arc is we're the Fred Savage character. Right. And like, we are sort of put out by the like um, the sort of like stiffness or like uh, um trope-filled silliness of The Princess Bride, but by the end of the movie, despite its silliness, and, and in part because of its silliness, we find it so resonant, and we, we are able to sort of like um, take so much away from it. I really love that like that became a thing in reality as well, right? It's like, I think people love this movie genuinely, not just because it's hilarious, but because yeah. they love all the characters, right? It's like people love Inigo Montoya, even though he's a ridiculous character, right? Both of those things are true like this movie is a hilarious weird satire and it's just a great straight up swashbuckling like adventure story right adventure yeah, romance yeah. even though it's poking fun at those things and the whole point of this movie in my opinion is that like doing both is not contradictory it's actually part of it right like like making fun of those tropes and sort of having your fun and having your cake and eating it too it not only is not contradictory to the genuine qualities that you're trying to imbue your thing with it actually enhances them right like the this movie is better and even more sort of like adventurous uh, because of how funny it is. And because of the frame story, Um, not in Mm -hmm. spite of those things, which is a really interesting tightrope to walk. And I think that one that, that like, I think that this movie does it better than like pretty much anything. Right. Just in, in terms of like, mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of these characters have been, become like cultural symbols and like, not just in an ironic, funny way, just like people are just like, Oh yeah. Like the, the vengeful swordsman in Hugo Montoya, everybody fucking loves him, you know? And it's like, yeah, I mean, he's, he's sort of a, the uh, like butt of a joke in the movie, but like, that doesn't matter. Right. Because we still love him and we still love when he gets his revenge. And like, I really like that this movie can hold both of those ideals at once.
1: Yeah. That's, I if I had like a talking point it's it's one of those movies that's just like what the hell do you even say about it for me but I am glad that you brought it up because it's one of the things that I was thinking about while I was talking or excuse me while I was watching it was like the line between liking it as a kid and appreciating it as an adult is like do I like it less because I appreciate it more did I don't was I not noticing you know was it was it able to just work on me more when I was a child because of like its broadest story strokes kind of thing but then I came back to like I think I can like it and appreciate it more because I can sort of Tell how it's getting to that end point that you were talking about of like that balance of it's a good swashbuckling high fantasy you know romance drama um, uh, type piece and also like a pretty fairly modern comedy even by today's standards I think a lot of this stuff still just really hits. Um, I think how it gets there, like I mean, obviously the symptoms of that are like characters like our main character is Fezzik and Vizini and uh, Inigo and and Buttercup and and uh, and and Wesley etc. But like I think that the way it gets there is by drawing lines between some of these characters who like there are clearly characters who are just there to sort of take the piss out of a certain thing and this is maybe a discussion point nobody has read the book i don't think on this podcast um but i I would like to know if the book has sort of any of these flavors of like modern humor or parody because i think its strength and its biggest liability what it could have like what could have gone wrong with it is in its like some of these characters are clearly just built for comedy to take the piss out of the concept of, you know, like, I forget the character's name, but um the, like, sort of Igor character who's washing up Wesley before he gets put in the machine is like one of those that, you know, he coughs and he has this that's like, the sort Albino. of sultry radio voice. Yeah, yeah the, that's the what Al-Bino. he's
4: known as. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, but he's got the sultry voice after coughing and it's like, oh, well, that's piss take on, you know, this sort of like creepy hunchbacked uh, character that's like subservient to the bad guy or um, Billy Crystal as maybe one of the funniest character in the movie, the uh, sort of witch doctor character um, who is just like a complaining, like back aching, uh, you know, hermit sort of character um, at wisecracking thing. But like, otherwise there's just like, I think the way that it blows through that and the way that it rides that line is by showing a certain like mundanity to it all, like the uh, not in like an embarrassing way or in sort of like calling attention to itself way, but it's parodying those things and making them feel a little bit more like grounded in real, like rather than high fantasy archetypes or stereotypes you might associate with like, uh, you know, the bad guy or sort of the, the priest that's, um, uh, that's officiating or the, you know, the Igor type character, it's like bringing more modern concepts of what's, what's funny into those characters, sort of like spinning them on their head. And this isn't a new, like uh, uh, thought to have about the movie, but I think I can appreciate sort of where rather than just taking the princess Bide as its own, thing, I can see it more as an amalgam, like you were saying, Harry, an amalgam of those two different of like comedy and sort of swashbuckling fun adventure. Um and I think that it gets there by like leveling out about a little bit um like when it deploys that sense of humor and when it does play pretty straight. Like the whole Inigo Montoya thing, uh like when he ends up killing Count Rugen is pretty straight at, at the end. Like he is able to like straight up just kill him and he's it's a heroic moment and stuff. But just uh, one scene before that, you have the uh, the like punchline of Christopher Guest pointing his sword, and they're having this you know contested standoff in the hallway, and he just drops his sword and runs, and he just like clatters out of the room, and it's very funny in the moment. It's a very Christopher Guest moment, but then you're like moving to the next scene where it's this heated, bloody uh, fencing battle. Somehow, and I'm not exactly sure, like it manages to ride that line and 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 find that balance. Uh, and my best guess is that it does like when we're not in high comedy or high, um, uh, you know, sort of drama or action mode, we are just sort of like imbuing a lot of these characters with a certain mundanity, the, the rhyming thing that uh, Inigo and um, and Fezzik do, or the, uh, you know, again, like the doctor who is just like, he sounds like he's from the, you know, the Upper West Side. And it's just very, I don't know, it, it sort of level sets about all of the characters and taking like this sort of preordained, you know, where it's going story and putting those fun spins on it that don't feel like they're calling attention to themselves too much. I like that you said, Harry, that the princess bride, it feels like it was before and after sort of, and that, uh, it may be like for better and worse, it changed a whole lot of how these movies tend to be written and be directed is because I think so many of them do call attention to the things that they're parodying or make them long sort of drawn out bits or like just have the timing set to really focus on what somebody said and be humorous about it i think part of that is the humor and comedic style directing of the time and part of that is like conscious directorial choice to like not to not call attention every time that we uh like have a punchline or every time that somebody says something funny to just move past it um i didn't have a great segue from that to anything else do we want to just pick up the mic with the next step all right Aaron tell us why you hate this movie yeah I don't really I, I do it.
0: not hate this movie I like this movie um I did not grow up with this movie I did not see this movie until college actually I watched it with my now wife and then uh, I think a bunch of just like uh, probably like 12 people in like a just a stuffed dorm room uh, in college that was my first time watching it um here, here's my my ultimate take about this movie which is a good movie that I I, I do like quite a bit um is that wait uh,
2: a hot
1: take? Would you say
0: I, I let me know if it's a play the thing if it's a well don't play it until you hear it this might be a hot take this might well, not. It's be in preparation a
1: preparation of the heat so
0: I don't know if that it, it, play it if this is uh, scorching for some reason but just like my own like knowledge of this movie like before I had seen it it even leading up to like this viewing because I don't remember a ton from watching it in college Um, and then like most of the stuff that I really like in this movie. um, and all the stuff that I've heard quoted and reference and whatnot is from the first 30 minutes. And the first 30 minutes is like a perfect 30 minutes. Ooh, like, I actually like this take that.
3: a lot. <laughs>
0: Thank you. Everything I say is correct. The first 30 minutes is like... It's perfect. It's like I would not change a single thing. I think the tone of it, the clip of it, I think the way that it changes from like, uh, uh, you know, kind of the, the narrator, you know, the grandpa and his grandson changes to these other characters, I think is great. You get a lot of the moments that Cody talks about where there's this kind of rotating cast of characters who are all kind of unique in their own way, who kind of interact with each other in very humorous ways. I think all of that is like great, like kind of Monty Python-esque, I would say, in its humor and how it handles a lot of that stuff. Um, I think that like the rest of the movie after that 30 minutes is pretty good. Um, But that first 30 minutes is like, where pretty much everything that I knew about this movie, except for the, I guess you can make the argument that like the Inigo Montoya, you know, uh, kind of speech fight scene at the end. But that is something that's also referenced in the first 30 minutes. So I, I don't know. But I think that are like you, are you telling me that like most of this is like yeah o- yeah
1: outside of seeing that movie that nobody ever quoted uh, two love to you I cannot no, imagine I, that no. that map being a thing you so. ever or, heard of. Or, or,
0: I miss or that they happens in like I didn't the know what final act totally possible
1: I don't know but, like no
0: I don't I don't think so Um yeah I don't like it's it's good like it's still good but like that that first thirty minutes is like such a high high to me you know what I mean that like the rest of it's like. I, pretty good in comparison but not like classic really classic material in the same way i don't know that's that's my take uh, i i sort
4: I, of like that i like I that know. take no I, I don't know that it's hot but uh um i would even just add that like because i i think i agree with this and like also i think that this movie especially in the second act falls victim a little bit or second and third acts falls victim a little bit to this idea that like well because it's a parody you can't criticize it because if you're criticizing it, you're proving its point. Because, like, of course, that's a ridiculous plot development. Of course, that's silly. Of course, that that that's uh, lazy writing or whatever. Right? Like, just going to Miracle Max or just using his father's sword to coincidentally find the uh, um, pit of despair or whatever. Right? Like, of of course, he would just decide that he needs the Man in Black, and then they would just hear the Man in Black screaming from across the realm, and he would be like that's the sound of ultimate suffering. It's like, I, you're right. Like, like criticizing that is beside the point because the point of the movie is that those things are silly. However, the movie's so good at doing both for so much of it. It's so good at being silly and a great story and sort of like a that, um, like little, uh, sort of like plot conveniences and contrivances like that do kind of get to me, especially when you like what, what we're talking about here and like what we, um, but both Cody and Aaron brought up is that like the reason why the first act of this movie is so good and the second act doesn't hold up as well is because, um, Fezzik and Inigo Montoya are like the breakout stars of the movie, like, obviously easily yeah and they disappear for the entire second act of the movie and instead we follow Wesley and um Buttercup which are who are both Mary sues like Cody said on purpose right like like they are blank slates because that's the point of their characters and their archetypes but like that doesn't mean they're not blank slates right especially when they're together and so you get this thing where it's like this is a it's a book about true love it's a story about true love i understand that the point is that like true love is like still something that is true that we can take from these classic stories, even though we sort of have these modern sensibilities that, that would make us want to be ironic about it. Like those things still preserve. However, it is the least interesting part of like, I agree with Fred Savage's character, right? (laughs) It's like, Oh, this is a kissing book. Like I want to get to the part where the fucking pirates like kill somebody. Right. It's like, I'm, I get it. Like maybe that's just because I'm a guy, but it is like, (laughs) yeah, um, it it's, it's really interesting. Right. And like, I think that like, Um, I don't know exactly how to reconcile that feeling with this idea that like, because my other sort of big take about this movie, if you will, and I, I don't think it's an original one or one that we brought up before, but like, I think the thing that this movie does better than the sort of like pretenders that followed it is that. I think post Princess Bride, a lot of what lessons movies learned from this is that like, oh, we should be somewhat ashamed of our genre trappings. And so we have to sort of like wink and nudge the audience so that they know that we're smarter than these. Whereas that's exactly the wrong lesson to learn from the Princess Bride. And the the whole Princess Bride's point is like, oh, yeah, those dumb sort of musty anachronisms and tropes of classic fantasy, they are great and like they make stories better and like all of these things that we think are silly about these old stories that we can sort of discount they were all actually like part of making the story better and i want to show you that now just by sort of like like just sort of tilting your perspective so that you can kind of see it with modern humor that all of those things were already there, right? Like the whole point of the framing device is that like Fred Savage thinks he's too cool for this old musty story that his grandpa brings. And then by the end, he's super compelled by it, right? Like we are able to see the ways in which these stories bridge generations. I think Rob Reiner's whole thing here is that like, it's because all of this hilarious comedy and these silly things, they were always a part of this thing, right? Or like we, we could always see them or they could always be there and they made these stories better. And so like the idea that like, oh, but like now we have to apologize for them is it like exactly wrong. Right. And I I really like this, uh, that about this movie is that they're like, I feel like I'm doing the, the, just the Zizek uh, point when he's talking about Kung Fu Panda, (laughs) but he's, he's like the whole movie's making fun of the ideology, but the ideology prevails (laughs) at the end. And it's like, yeah, like that's, that's right. Right. And like in doing that, you have to sort of like, you have to exalt these ideas, like these cliches they have to be um something that you love and celebrate and i think that this movie does that really well even if there are times when i'm frustrated by
5: it
2: yeah i think that's extremely fair and just to add maybe a little more zest to the the conversation about how the beginning of this the the first act of this film is so iconic and memorable and like probably on a like i don't know i hate talking in uh, like superlatives or, or hyperbole, but like probably even better than you remember. Like watching the first 30 minutes of Princess Bride, I was kind of was just like, wow, they casually dropped one of the greatest sword fights I've ever seen in a movie. Uh, and I just, that I don't know. i never heard that about this movie going into it. I wasn't sure to expect that. And I think the reason... Part of the part of the reason I looped in the the ending as well in my initial sort of hypothesis about like the first 2030 minutes and the last 2030 minutes is because the Enigo Montoya arc is so it's so captivating. It's like very I, I as overheard as like, like well replayed that that sequence has been. In my development, I guess that plays into the like the cable TV aspect of this a lot is growing up with parents who really liked the Princess Bride. If that scene of Princess Bride comes on, even if we're not watching the entire movie in the background, if we're just flipping channels and the uh, my name is Inigo Montoya, that that sequence comes on, we're watching that sequence. And for many years, I just thought the Princess Bride was about Inigo Montoya with him as the main character. <laughs> so, so that was an- another it's fun It's not story. not. Right. It's not not. And um, that's again, that's I, I think part of the reason. Ooh there we go um hot stuff what a weird uh, sound uh, clip man
0: <laughs> I, <laughs>
2: listen i'm glad I, progress. I, I'm, yeah, I'm glad i was told what it was otherwise it'd be like oh it's like the the shittiest car accident in 144p or something
0: i know yes <laughs> um, people getting crushed between like one of those things that collapses cars at the junkyard you know what i mean that's thanks.
2: the good <laughs> <laughs> chunk good chunk oh ah! um one of the other things I, I've, again, adding zest to, to that whole conversation, or at least trying to, is you, you see the breadcrumbs of why every kind of character actor who got cast in this movie was cast and the types of things. Uh, like, I, I, in retrospect, have at this point general familiarity with pretty much everybody that we see i don't know a ton about mel smith who plays the albino whereas like everybody else down to you know billy crystal and carol Kane as miracle max and valerie respectively like all those sorts of folks the one that i the one person that i found myself trying to like all while i was watching you know the the middle act of this movie and trying to make sense of that also reconciling Christopher guest getting cast who this was sort of before he, I mean, he had worked with Reiner on this is final tap before this, um, maybe in other places as well. But like, I was confused as to why he was count. I literally didn't know it was Christopher
4: guest until the credits of this movie. This time I watched it and I was like, wait, what the fuck? Like the director, like the waiting for Guffman guy. And it, it is right. It's wild. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And eventually I got there. It, it was just with me, maybe like coming back to this. um And again, coming into this movie with a, an upbringing where it was very <laughs> Nico Montoya focused and I need to, you know, kind of re remember the cliff's notes from the set. Like, oh yeah, like Christopher Guest plays like a secondary, tertiary character. I guess he plays the six fingered man. That's pretty important. But me not me ch- getting back into the understanding of why he's there, and and I, I I eventually got there during the torture sequence. Like he's he's deadpanning in much in the way that Carrie always is deadpanning. A lot of like and not showing any sort of emotion but inflecting with his voice um these very earnest and clever and charming things Christopher Guest is kind of doing the antithetical version of that where he's he's just it's it's funny watching him be a dick and that's what he he kind of brings it full circle in that regard where he is uh his character is a shameless asshole but because you can see that sort of glimmer in his eyes while the rest of his face is not moving and he's torture he's literally sucking life from Wesley, but the the middle portion of the movie where I was trying to get back to that point, I think that maybe also not took away. That's just another thing that was active, you know, active on top of all the other things that I was, um, that I was trying to juggle, but Christopher guest, good. IMO. I don't think that's, a Man, take, but- I, I
4: think that, it, again, something that, like, maybe just because I wasn't quite as much of a pervert uh, as I am now, but, like, one of the biggest laughs I got when I watched this is when Christopher Guest completely deadpan, completely seriously goes, I've just sucked one li- year of your life away. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like, what? Like, what a patently fucking
0: ridiculous thing to say. That machine.
1: Uh, it's so fucking it's, funny, It's dude. so funny when he says, yeah. not
3: 50! <laughs> not to 50! <50. laughs> there are
0: people 2023 consensually putting themselves Oh, in that absolutely. Yeah. That is yeah. a, that That's, is a big community on the a lot, internet. A lot of fetishes that started person, right maybe. here. Um, <laughs> that I just too.
4: wanted to talk about, I feel like real quick, like we maybe don't talk about performances a ton. Um, I think it's really worth noting, Like, I think a huge part of the reason why this movie is so enduring is because of the performances, right? Specifically, I think Mandy Patinkin like, crushes this like to a level that nobody uh ever will (laughs) again right and it like it's sort of the perfect performance in that like at no point do you think that he thinks he's in a funny movie right like he is completely crushing this like completely straight like he's taking this role so seriously right it's like um everybody talks about how like uh um you know, it's it's just like I think Carrie Elways, you can make the argument, is sort of playing this like he knows, right? Like his character is genre aware. Uh Inigo Montoya is absolutely not, right? Anigo Montoya is clever and he's funny and he's charming and he's roguish, but like he is a hundred percent committed. Um, and I think that plays so well, especially against um Andre the Giant, who is simply the most charming man who ever lived in this. Uh, movie, like, I don't think anybody's had as much char- screen charisma as he has. Like, with the, the way he reads his lines, the way he like smiles, I'm just like, I like, I love this person. <laughs> um, and I think that's you know, and then uh, obviously, like, you where do you even start with Wallace Shawn, right? Which is, I think, another one of the reasons why I think that like it's almost accidental because they did such a good job that the second act is not as good as the first, right? Because it's like you get, um, Wallace, Sean, uh, Inigo Montoya, Mandy Patinkin and Andre the giant. And it's like, you know, like they're, they're putting out like character actor performances of the ages and that like, you can't yeah. really like a leading man can't keep up with that shit. Like nobody could, you know? Um, but I, do, it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, it's not fair to like, um, discredit this movie, but it is a little bit like every time Fezzik and Anigo Montoya aren't on screen, the audience should be like, where's Fezzik and Anigo Montoya? <laughs>
0: Another kind of semi related, you know, side character point here. Um I, I, I think that uh I think that Billy Crystal does well in this, um, but just get Mel Brooks, you know. Like what? What? Hey, oh, okay, what? So? The fuck? Just give Mel Brooks. Yes. What do you mean? Do you think so? Yes. That role is so clearly a role for I think Mel it's, Brooks. I think it's What's way funnier
1: that like they had to age him up by thirty years or whatever. I think do it's way mean funnier. Do you think about
0: Brooks? I'm just saying he's so clearly this role. You know, like I. Yeah, I don't know if that uh, Billy Crystal does a fine, fine job. I'm happy Reiner and, and Crystal got to do that. Carol bit Kane's
2: of, great too. Uh, her yes, popping yes. in and just, just well,
0: like, I think liar. Rob
4: Reiner and uh, Mel Brooks didn't get along, right? They really hated each other, that, Fam- that famously. So I did
0: not know that. No, they're,
4: they're uh, super, super. Uh, real oh, I was going to say they situations. were my like friends. Right. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yes. Did they? <laughs> yeah, they like watch movies. Yeah, together? they like yeah. they like <laughs> hold hands and watch
4: movies every night for like the last twenty years of their lives or something. It's like one of the most beautiful friendships in history.
0: But, yes, the, the best episode of uh, comedians and cars getting actually the only good. I don't like that, but yeah, the, the no, only a, good one is yeah. where they going right. to Mel Brooks' little basement, and they're just like, and fucking yeah, Rob just TV dinners, and they're eating
3: TV dinners and
0: watching old movies. It's like, uh, yeah, I guess if you're heart. Mel Brooks, you're 107, yeah. what else are you going to do? But
1: Is he really that old now?
0: No, he's 90, 92, 93. I mean, he, he Gee, is yui. ancient, yes. Yeah. Um, but,
1: it's an old man, Dwayne. Uh, yeah. I, I was just going to bring up, because um, Harry was saying about, I really like that we landed on the performances. Again, I know that's something I couldn't have appreciated as, as a kid, um, but the uh, Inigo Montoya thing. I never considered how serious his character is when I was young, um, compared especially to the rest of the movie, because he gets his little moments of, you know, comedic, he's, he's drunk and he's swinging and he's rhyming and stuff, but he is largely like, he is, I I think a lot of these characters are playing it pretty straight, but he is like the one who's actually playing it as like, as if it's not a comedy at all. Um, and there was something online that I saw. I just looked it up again uh, that Mandy Patinkin, um, I guess his father had died not long before of cancer. I think just not long before the filming of this movie. Uh, and he was saying like, he was tapping into that. I guess I just haven't heard anything, nah. anything. I mean, that's, you know, I won't discount or discredit his, you know, inspiration or his life experiences. That's something that I hear. Obviously you hear a lot is like, I tapped into my personal experience of losing my father or whatever to like bring this out in the character in this movie though. It seems like, he went above and fucking beyond for a for a period comedy, uh, you know, medieval high fantasy movie to do that for this, like, secondary character about, I, I don't know, it, like, I think to your guys' point, to your hot take point, it kind of makes him feel way more like the main character because yeah. he's just committed that much more to it.
4: Well, and that sensibility is so at the heart of this movie, right? Which is all about how, like, comedy and irony do not flatten emotions. Uh, or storytelling they can actually heighten them, right like Anigo Montoya is more memorable and more badass and more compelling because he 's in a movie that is also funny and sort of like modern and ironic it, like these things are not opposed to one another right they' yeah. they in fact can be complementary like just be, just because like and and therefore like we can 't throw out uh the old stodgy sort of like tropes. Um Or the comedy, because they can actually work in unison, right, like they can they can cooperate with one another and and create something that 's more than the sum of its parts in either sense,
1: yeah, I like where we 've ended with this that, that it 's like it 's a balance that it 's something that has uh you know sort of I like the idea that it's a for better or worse thing. Its impact on uh, parody movies, in particular, because I think this is relatively understated and well written and ta- and tasteful in its parody of of the of the genre. Uh, I think like it sticks out when it needs to. I think it is the more downplayed when it needs to be. But I think largely, I don't think you're going to watch a parody movie past this date that's like wow that's really tasty like really well done this is like the tier of princess bride of like not make not again i think i just come back to like how much it how proud it is of its own little twists and subversions of the form and i don't think it i don't think it like calls too much attention to itself in that respect um should i open up the drawer the junk drawer do we uh have anything else in terms of like larger discussion points we wanted to get to here i know we're sort of like what the hell do you say about this movie, Ing, but if there's anything else anybody's got, now's the time before we uh, bring it open for the little tiny things.
2: Yeah. I, I guess bringing this in, and I don't know, I don't know a ton about the making of like Rob Reiner's other films, but any, all like the, any movie podcast that like gets into these types of movies or like anybody who likes the movie when Harry met Sally, will talk about how this is, in like in the middle of rob reiner's kind of infamous run where he was just really cooking um 19 dude it's insane yeah yeah uh, i guess 1984 was spinal tap 1985 was the shirt thing which i don't really know anything about but then 86 stand by me 87 princess bride 89 when harry met sally 1990 was misery 1992 a few good men um and then I, I think it just kind of stops there. And so I don't know. Coming coming in with the um the sort of the athlete's perspective, uh, you know, sometimes like people just go on a run. Uh, they they go on a tear. They have a fundamental understanding of their art form, their craft, and like not to just chalk it up to like why is the princess bride why are any of these movies so good i don't know just like he he was goaded at the time but just like i don't know clearly he seemed to have been tapped into something um where it just like things were clicking and uh you know to, to make a movie like the princess bride uh a, i don't know a truly excellent film that comes in at what was in 99 minutes that's mm-hmm. um yeah, I couldn't do that. This would I, be five hours if I tried my shitty hands at it. it honestly, that is a good point
4: because, like, I remember this movie being way longer. You know what I mean? It's like maybe that's just a kid thing, but, like, I remember this sort of, like, sweeping epic. And then it was like, wait, like, there's really, like, they meet, he meets Inigo Montoya and in Fezzik, like, 15 minutes before the end of this movie uh, after they meet in the first act, and, like, almost never again, right? It's like, it's it's way more truncated than I remember it being.
1: Cool. Yeah.
2: Um. <laughs> I, were we... At, I was, sorry, I was yeah, typing into the chat. I didn't know I was, if we were in the junk drawer I was about to
1: open up the junk drawer, but if you, okay. have, if you have another thing, please. The junk, junk drawer yeah, no, slowly no, creaked open. Yeah, it's, it's, it's open just enough to put your finger in, we but I to, might slam it again. I might slam it again. Greased. Uh, yeah, yes. Cody. I,
2: I, I wanted to drop that in there just in case it evoked anything else. Um. But I think the more junk drawer appropriate thought, and this is something that Nick Cooey brought up in his write-up, for the Princess Bride, the recent screening that evidently he and, um, and Abby as well, I think posted about it somewhere in social media and myself were all at, it's a dark theater. I didn't see anybody. I went by myself, but there was uh, a really great moment in our screening where towards the end when Wesley is, um, uh he has his to the pain monologue and he has the lines like your ear like you'll keep your ears so that you can hear every shriek of every child that sees how fucking hideous you are as soon as he finished like he like completed one of those sentences and then in the pause between like when he jumped into his next line there was uh, like a very uh, hushed audience but a very in in the shrouded darkness just a a very audible very earnest chuckle from a, a kid who seemed to be between the ages of like six and ten no older than 10 uh just like laughing at the thought of the, either at something completely unrelated or re- what I hope to believe really internalizing that image that Wesley just put put forth and laughing at that and then over <laughs> the next like 10 to 15 seconds that like laughter slowly like you know getting contagious amongst the rest of the audience it was i don't know it was really funny not that anything in that scene needed to be undercut by humor but that was just um extremely fun and funny
1: go see movies at theater in theaters folks specifically the trylon if, you if can. this is yeah if you haven't picked up this message yet go to the trylon see a movie um my junk drawer thought is uh, i think two of the funniest lines in this movie are the one i mentioned earlier um about is he using the same wind as us and then later in montoya in his monologue to explaining to wesley he's going to they're going to wake him up again after being mostly dead uh and he's awoken, but he's not really like remembering. He has some, uh, you know, slight amnesia. Uh, and he says, what, you know, where, who am I? Who who are you? Where where am I? Where's Buttercup? And Inigo Antaea says, I have the subtitles up because I wanted to make sure that I get it right. He says, let me explain. Takes a cold, short beating. He's like, no, this is too, this is too much. Let me sum up. But he just like gives him exactly what's happening in that moment. I think that's such a funny thing to consider is like the, yeah. the, the explain versus sum up is a consideration you don't make. You assume he's going to do it anyway, but then it's like another little character beat where it's like, oh, he was actually going to give him the story to that point. He was going to remind him who he was, but he was like, no, that doesn't make sense. I'm going to cut myself off. I, I just love, again, it's one of those moments that's like the writers putting themselves in there and reminding you like, oh, this is pretty, pretty fun and smartly written. Um, That's that's my junk drawer thoughts, Harry.
4: Yeah, I have a couple. First of all, we barely brought it up. It makes sense because it's like a very short amount of screen time. Um, Peter Falk as the grandpa is just absolute like J.K. Simmons as J. Jonah Jameson levels of like the obvious right casting of all time. And also just a cheat code. Like if you're going to put Peter Falk in this position in this movie, it's going to be a fucking classic right it's I, just like the most oh charming man. human being who ever lived doing that thing and it's just like it's just easy right it's fucking like you got it it was right down the plate but like you smashed it out of the park if um, I can give
1: you if I can give you like a short drunker note on the junk drawer note for the first time he gets Columbo as like a one more thing yeah <laughs> literally like before well, I go that's a really good voice, yeah? I love that anyway
0: oh wow they I got didn't got three recognize point. it was him what
1: I wow. saw his I eyes pointing in different with directions facial with the hair. session. I literally was like, wow. I don't... That's fucking like, kidding uh, That's Colombo And I was like,
0: what? That's
1: crazy. If, it. You had, yeah. if, if you had said that's uh, Peter Falk from Wings of Desire, you would have immediately <laughs> gotten it.
4: Peter
0: Falk
1: was
4: in Wings of Desire? No. <laughs> um, uh, shout outs to Prince Humperdinck. Uh, first of all, Humperdinck, fa- fantastic name. Uh, oh, really yeah. knocked that one out of the park, Rob Reiner. Um, a very thankless performance because he's playing this sort of like... Obvious villain, and also like I, I think this is probably intentional. So I'm not gonna like I'm not gonna like scold or whatever. But like huge queer coding on all of the bad guys in this movie compared to the good guys. Like I said, I think that's kind of part of the genre fiction. But like Humberdink is like so obviously playing like a gay dude <laughs> who is who is sort of like like very. Um, Oh, you mean
0: his underling who tortures people that he just loves watching? Yeah, you know I usually they have like a whole
1: thing together. The guy with the gate key, like pretty clearly.
0: Uh,
4: But but is so funny in this role, like especially like in again in the first act when he's like he's tracking uh, the progress of of Wesley and he knows like these details that are ridiculous to know. Where he's like, there was a great duel here and someone defeated a giant in single combat, and he's like looking at like (laughs) yeah, exactly. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? But um, I really love that. I One of the lines that always gets to me because of just how uh, amazingly pompous it is, is when um, Buttercup is like, will you swear you won't harm him? And he says, may I live a thousand years and never hunt again? <laughs> it's just like <laughs> they, they do such a good job of like making him the most ridiculous human being. Uh, and I really love that. So uh, an underappreciated role, perhaps when he's with all of these heavy hitters. But uh, we're shouting out that. I think I think Humber Dink does a really good job of being so unctuous in this movie.
1: Chris Sarandon, was he in Night of the Demons 2? He was in one of those horror thon movies, I think, wasn't he? Or am I hallucinating that? I, feel I got like no he, idea, my man. I'm sorry. I, I feel like he was in one of those horror movies from episode 142. Maybe, listeners, you go back and listen to that um, one-hour-and-20-minute episode from 2021 for us. And uh, there was some horror movie that we saw that in which he featured, but I forget which one it was. Or maybe... Anyway, I might be wrong. Uh, Let the listeners confirm or deny. Um, If that's the final uh, thought in our drunk drawer, I'll close that back up and open up the uh, good grief. Give me a gif um, gates. Please let me know what gif you want to see out with this episode on Twitter. Mine is going to be, any of the shots of them climbing the cliffs of insanity, the funniest physical comedy. The cliffs in, maybe of in the in-
0: insanity. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Wallace, Sean, again, we didn't mention his name yet. Uh, say his name. Incredibly, incredibly good in this movie. Just. F- no, I like said him. it during, the, Did
0: during you? the summary.
1: I'm so yeah, sorry, yeah. but calling yes. him out is a specifically, like I love his again, uh, underused. He's in the first third, uh, but you, I think he's part of what contributes to your uh, incredible uh, review of the first third of this movie. Um, quite pleased with uh with his performance i was quite pleased with how it looks when anybody is going up the cliffs of insanity any of those like wide shots of just people on these cliffs of wherever new zealand or ireland or wherever they are just moving at immense speeds no matter what size they are uh i I quite liked that um cody did you have any gifts that stuck out to you for this movie yeah, I had a few kicking around. The one I will
2: submit for consideration. Um, nothing, nothing too elaborate. It was just a good vibe for the end of the movie. Uh, and also because I spent much of the movie just, uh, ogling at the screen and f- forgetting to internalize which one to make a good gif for the episode. Uh, the one where they put their hands in before they actually go forth with storming the castle. Um, by they, I mean, um, uh, Andre the Giant, Mandy Patinkin, um, and, uh, Carrie always and, I forget if he has his arm helped onto the pile or if he just does like the force, like cause he's um, coming yeah. back from the dead. Um, I don't know. I, that one particularly tickled me or shit. I don't know. Uh, Wesleyan, uh, um, and the princess bride herself, uh, princess buttercup tumbling down the hill. Um, whichever one tickles your fancy
1: <laughs> loop of that. Yeah. <laughs>
4: I, the only reason not to include that one is because of how funny the sound is, right? And and like yeah, we true. need like the full video or something where they're like,
1: oh, ah, oh, it's, ah. I, I don't know if this was part of the the comedy there, but like it's almost like that Eric Andre type thing where like you can see the faces of these actors at some points, and it's clear it's not Carrie Elwes and oh, Robin Wright. Sure. It's pretty funny. Wait,
2: what? What?
4: Uh, let's see. I've got I don't know a couple. I think that first of all, like. I know that it's literally the Wallace Sean send up at the end of the movie, but Wallace Sean like laughing his ass off and then immediately falling dead and falling sideways off screen and never being seen in a shot again <laughs> uh, is really, really funny. Um, I think that uh, Christopher Guest doing that, like, sword play thing, like he's getting ready to fight Inigo Bontoya and then immediately yes. about facing and running away is really, really good. Um And then, like, obviously, the classic uh Dread Pirate Roberts moment where they've got the Holocaust cloak on fire and all the dudes are running in every direction to get away from him. Um Those are all really good ones.
1: Wonderful. Aaron, did you even see a second of this movie that you would consider gift worthy? <sighs>
0: My least favorite movie of all time. No, yep. uh, yeah. my my two my two were climbing the cliffs of insanity and the tumbling down the the hills. Oh. That's just the those are the two. Look at that funny. It, those would be funny to have them loop if you can get the looping between the two people falling oh, yeah. down different. That's portions exactly of the what hill.
1: I was thinking. But yeah, Harry's got a good point. Good. Th- you that could
4: send it to Duels of the Fate, like uh, <laughs> like yes. that one Obi Wan clip. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, well, that was give me good grief. Give me a gift. Uh, we'll have those on the Twitter. Uh, if I can find a reliable, I don't know, new internet. Uh, we'll, we'll see. Uh, my hands are clean. I made no promises. Check the show notes for just like Pontius Pilate, His hands are clean. That's me. I'm letting one uh, criminal go and uh, and killing the wrong guy. Thank you so much for that, uh, for participating in that segment. But we have one final segment at the end of the episode here uh, to get into before we finish up. So here, Yes, can you lead
4: us in I would love to, Jason. It's
2: the segment we like to call <gasps> Cody's, Cody's Noties! Noties. Wow, gentlemen, thank you for that introduction of unusual size. Uh, today, we're going to navigate through a little something I like to call the Princess Tried. And for the show notes, Jason, that's spelled T-R-Y apostrophe D. Um There you have it. Uh, Our our episode for the trial, uh, you may remember, saw us interrogating the lives and loves of people named Franz. And this week we'll be checking in with famous buttercups that's right Uh, i will present some prompts relating to the aforementioned buttercups after reading each prompt i'm gonna ask y'all in reverse alphabetical by first name order to respond just making our rounds to the different permutations of orders that we can get to Uh, i'll get a point for every correct answer or closest to the correct answer and the person with the most points at the end will win as always trivia mafia rules apply here use your noodles not your googles let's jump in we'll start for number one uh, with this week's titular princess bride aptly named Buttercup. as one is, Robin Wright portrayed Buttercup, and she co-starred in this film alongside a number of wonderful actors that we, that we spent talking about. Uh, here what comes? The first question? Motherfuck? What the, uh, you, you, got your, you got your Robin Wrights. <laughs> you got your Carrie Owieses. You got your Andre the Giants. You got Carol Kane
1: uh, in the mix. Uh, how tall is Andre the Giant, Jason? I'm going to say, wait, alphabetical in first name order, you said? Reverse alphabetical. Reverse. First I'm name so order. Sorry. Very, was made very important. Yeah, question, thank you, Jason. thank you. Um, I'm going to say. Oh, gee. Six foot, um, ten. Six feet, ten
2: inches. All right, smartass. What's your what's your answer to this one, piece of shit? Nice <laughs> guy. I think you know everything? <laughs> uh, I think uh, I think I'm going to go with seven three. All right, Harry he says seven three, and Aaron. What's your guess?
0: Um.
2: I'm going to go 6'11". 6'11". Going off a few sources on the internet, Andre Rene Rusimov was reportedly seven foot four. So I guess Harry is a wise he who does know everything because he was closest. That's he gets the so point for that tall. one. Yeah,
4: dude, that he was is. fucking huge. I mean, I, I know, guess that's why, it's
1: why re- they called him Andre the appropriately sized. <gasps> I guess I should have Remember the scene where Carrie always goes up against him and only comes up to like his nipples, maybe? Literally?
4: Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, Do you guys know, I think this story might be apocryphal, but there was a famous story where Andre the Giant (laughs) once got so drunk he passed out in a hotel lobby, and nobody could move him because he was so big, so they had to just leave him there until
0: he came to. There there are a Damn. bunch of stories of like him drinking beers and it's always like the number's always like 119 beers, yeah, it's 123 like, beers and it's Oh, like, I had a light night. Okay. I
4: drank 38 beers. Or something. I, suppose yeah, like. I, yeah, I, know. I suppose I suppose uh, I
1: what was it? Was it this movie where somebody claimed I think there's a rumor that uh, Andre the Giant once let out a like a 15 16 second fart on on
3: screen. <laughs> I've not heard that one but I can
0: believe it. Just to travel through your body at that time. Yeah, point, imagine you know the I mean? lung
1: capacity and everything. Yeah.
2: Damn. Uh, well, R.I.P. to Andre the Giant. Um, next, uh, we'll get a little scientific as we reflect upon a Buttercup the Plant. Uh, so just gonna, you know, get, get right down to it. Buttercups are the more commonly recognized name for the genus Ranunculus. This genus is comprised of flowering plants that can be found across Europe, as well as North and South America. They're largely perennial plants with lustrous petals. They're poisonous if eaten fresh. They contain chemicals used in treatments against fever and rheumatism. These are all things that we already know. Um, Nothing new here. Uh, My question for you, though, what is Our current best estimate, our being humanity, our best estimate for the number of species of ranunculus in existence, the number of species of, uh, of buttercups Jason
1: Harry's or sorry Aaron's face right now yeah, Christ wait, he give looks us like a challenging adol. question Cody come on <laughs> I, I yeah, we just
2: we, we we spent the first question the hardest of the hard I, you know how tall is Andre the giant and now I'm just I'm, I'm low I'm lowering the t I'm actually putting it on a t for you thank you get up
1: thank you I am going to guess 1055 species of Romunculus Romunculus uh ridiculous ridiculous Uh,
4: harry what's your guess uh fuck man i don't know two uh 285 (laughs) 285
2: locking that in and see this is the thing though right is that there
4: is this one thing where like even relatively common species sometimes they can be like super super specific so the answer to this could be like two because like that's just one branch of like a yeah anyway
0: True. Yeah, do I go over or under Harry's answer is really the question. <laughs> do I go 200? 200, 200, he gets 285. Do I go 286 <laughs> or 284?
1: You I'm gonna go, son of a bitch.
0: I, I am so rarely in this position, okay? Uh, I'm going to go 284.
2: 284 is the best. I like
0: 13. Yeah, yeah.
2: Uh. Well, we'll find out. There are an estimated, according to science they're estimated right number. off the bat
0: estimated is not a good word for this you know what i mean
2: <laughs> yeah it's uh, i it's the after shopping around this is the number that floated up uh, most often but 1700 species of ranunculus plants Woo! so uh point jason see there are benefits wow. to oh, long last. not benefits congrats on your it.
4: first <laughs> point ever in Cody's
2: <laughs> notice,
3: jason it's <laughs> yeah. impossible to get a
2: point if you go first 225 episodes
1: i'm gaining on you guys <laughs>
2: Yeah. Well, hey, you know, have your, your celebrations now, gentlemen. It's still very much anybody's game as we slide into question three, where we'd be foolish to not touch upon the song Build Me Up Buttercup, uh, brought to us by the Foundations. Pretty uh, relatively straightforward question in comparison to the last one. During its release, what was Build Me Up Buttercup's peak U.S. Billboard Hot 100 position on the weekly charts? So, like, what's the highest rating it got to? Uh, what do you think, Jason? I'll say it got up to number 12. It's respectable. Number 12. Yeah, that is respectable. I've never gotten to number 12. Have you, Harry? Also, what's your guess?
4: No, I never have. Uh 13,
2: never 12. Um I would do number 9. All right. Number 9 says Harry and Aaron. How are you going to gamify this number one, 12, big guy? Number
0: 9. I mean, I got I'm going to go 13 actually. Yeah, I'm going to say this is one of those ones that's like semi-hit, you know, but not Right. Like,
1: it got it got yeah, popular later, yeah. 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 <laughs>
4: Cody's mm-hmm. going to be like it was number one for three and a half years, setting <laughs> yes. <up> every record. <laughs> That's still how radio known. back then.
2: <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know about three and a half years, but it didn't make it up to number three. <laughs> so, Whoa. so there's that. So Harry is, is closest and he technically has to get a point. I should almost enforce, like, if everybody's way far off, maybe nobody gets the point. But you know what? At number nine made it to single digits. You'll, you'll get the point there. Uh, Harry holds the lead, two points to Jason's one to Aaron zero still is yet to get on the board. Still plenty of opportunities to get points. Uh, um, week. Yeah. How how are we doing, fellas? How are we feeling? I, just, I know. I'm just feeling just, incredible. Quick check in. I'm yeah. feeling
1: like I'm coming back after being
2: mostly dead all day. Sure. Yeah. That's, hey, callback humor. Uh, for question four, let's go ahead and shout out Buttercup of Powerpuff Girls fame. Uh, for those unfamiliar, <laughs> if somehow you're unfamiliar, uh, the Powerpuff Girls uh, is an animated show that first aired in 1998 and has had, honestly, a lot of. Certified legends of animated programming attached to it over the years. It was created by Craig and Kraken. Uh, the animator, I believe it's Jendy Tartakovsky. Um, he was involved, uh, voice actors, Kathy Cavadini, Tara Strong, E.G. Daly, Tom Kenny, Jennifer Hale, Jim Cummings. The list goes on forever and ever. Uh, what I'm gonna do is list off three potential options for what the Powerpuff Girls were originally conceived as. One of them will be correct, uh, but I'm going to give you three options uh, as to what they were originally named, and your task will, of course, be to pick out the correct choice. Uh, and your choices are as follows. So option A is the Beat-Up Brigade. Option B, the Super Sisters. Option C, the Whoopass Girls. So those are your three options. Jason, what's your guess?
1: I'm going to say whoopass Girls. If it didn't make it, I'm going to say whoop Girls. Okay, locking that in,
2: Harry. For
4: whatever reason, that one has the ring of truth. But I'm gonna, in the interest of starting to cover the spread,
2: uh, I guess I'll do the Super Sisters. All right, locking that one in. And now, Aaron, you're gonna cover the spread. Are you gonna go a different direction?
0: What What's the answer for covering the spread? I don't wanna. Uh, what is it? Think, one I, more I, time? At first, I thought you were gonna say, well, what's the answer to this one?" Yeah. Friend? No. Uh,
2: could you just am uh, I the right uh, answer? I, oh, <laughs> a, thanks. Me.
0: Thanks for asking. It's uh, it's <laughs> A. Oh, you almost got me. I said I'll have the right. Uh,
2: yeah, so uh so B and C have been guessed. Uh the one that has not been guessed is A, the Beta brigade.
0: I'm a, I'm sorry, I'm not gonna cover this I don't oh, that's fine. I do I, I don't I'm Coward. gonna go Whoopass Girls. I'm sorry, I just think it's the Wolf Ass Girls. I think it's like power you know, it's like a slightly edgier kind of Yeah, yeah. Gotta go with that.
2: Okay. Uh, I'm just going to read this straight from Wikipedia. Uh, while attending his second year at CalArts in 1992, series creator Craig McCracken created a short film, Whoop-Ass Stew, about a trio of child superheroes called The Beat-Up Brigade. No, they were called The Whoop-Ass Girls. Yes. Um, so, so point Jason here. you yeah, almost. Uh, I, yeah, you know, I, I thought about I was The moral victory is mine. Uh <laughs> Sorry, uh, no no dub for you. That no turn. such thing here, loser. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for correct uh, answers Survey all says uh, Jason and Harry are not tied for the lead with two. Aaron is hot whoa. on their heels with one. Whoa, 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 um, whoa! Yeah, whoa. Is don't...
1: the one guy who always wins this? In the the only one who's in last place. He Holy doesn't always shit. win. What is
0: whoa, 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 yeah,
1: whoa, whoa, whoa? whoa, whoa. I just
0: said it. I'm at half power, I'm, mm. ch- I'm recharging.
2: Yeah. <laughs> He's about to whoop ass girls, y'all.
0: Uh and for this
2: Let's fifth hear for f- whoop ass girls. Yeah. For this fifth and final question, we will take uh we're gonna take a deep dive into the career of a baseball player known professionally as Buttercup Dickerson. Uh born <laughs> excuse me. Born what? uh <clears throat> a clean read of that. A what baseball player know known for, oh yeah, oh boy oh boy. Uh known professionally as Buttercup Dickerson. <laughs> bo- Thank you. <laughs> born, but what's he- weird he- he- is his
4: last name was uh,
2: Johnson. <laughs> uh, born Born Louis Pisano Dickerson, uh, swing and a miss there. Uh, Buttercup was an active uh, professional baseball player from the years of 1878 to 1885. It'd been really funny. Uh, from 2010 to 2015, uh, Buttercup Dickerson. Uh, no, but 1878 to 1885, when everybody was named something like this. Uh, but here's what's going to happen. I'm going to ask y'all to give your best estimates of four quantitative elements in Buttercup's life uh, and his tenor, uh, tenure in the major leagues. Uh, we'll take it one metric at a time. We'll go down the line. You'll give each of your guesses. And at the end, whoever is closest to the correct answer, uh, answer in each category will get that category's point. It's essentially a how tall is this person type of question um, where you try to get as close as possible. We're just doing four of them in a row. And spoilers, I'm not going to ask you about his height. Uh And then for scoring, you know, feasibly, just... As an example, if uh, Harry is closest in all four categories, he would get four points. The rest of the fellas would get zero. With that out of the way, uh, let's let's run down the line and get your guesses for the following. First, what uh, what was Buttercup Dickerson's listed
1: weight? Jason, oh, I'm tapping into some Eldritch knowledge here. Um, okay, okay. Uh, Buttercup Dickerson's weight in eighteen in the eighteen hundreds. I know they didn't have to be like brick shithouses like they have to be now to like run and hit and everything Mm -hmm. um i'm gonna say he was 185 right 185 lock
4: it in harry which uh what you thinking could i go with 165
2: 165 and aaron brick shithouse grossman what's your guess
0: i i'm uh i'll just i'll just be right i'll go 170
2: Alrighty, 170 all right locking those in we'll reveal uh answers at the end moving along to the second one how old was buttercup dickerson how old was buttercup dickerson when he passed away um that's uh, very serious I'm, i shouldn't be laughing uh jason what's your guess
1: can't imagine somebody that lives very long uh 48 <laughs> what <laughs> you know, Buttercup, he was live fast, die young. Listen, you know? listen, listen, can you imagine walking around for more than forty-eight god given years with the name Buttercup Dickerson? <laughs> uh he I, Dickerson you know. and then he didn't send.
2: <laughs> oh Lord. Uh Harry, what is your guess?
4: Uh, I'm gonna go with sixty, which in by today's standards would be like a hundred. They all yeah, died yeah. super young back then.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I the conversion rate checks out. Uh and then Aaron, what's your guess?
0: Sorry, what was Harry's guess just now? Six sixty. Um, I'll I'll say that Buttercup Dick- Dickerson died as as a just a, a an old man. He lived a long life. I'm gonna go sixty one.
1: Buttercup Dickerson, <laughs> ripe old fucking <laughs> ripe old age. <laughs> that's uh, surrounded
0: yeah. by surrounded by his family and friends. <laughs> surrounded Mama by Dickerson. the little Dickersons. <laughs> yes, the whole Dickerson gang.
2: whole Dickerson. Wild that y'all are finding more joy out of Dickerson than the fact that dude rolled with the first name of Buttercup. (laughs) But uh, I don't know why I would would have expected anything else. Uh, Dickerson is a good and fun name. How many times – here's the third one. How many times did Buttercup Dickerson lead his league in triples? That's the base hit where you get to third base. uh, They didn't hit triples until the mid-90s. Really? Late 1890s? <laughs> I was just, just, Cody is really, it's baseball really. <laughs> No, I was just, like, I, I can't, I can't even, I can't even feign uh, ignorance on that. It's like, you know, they didn't hit home runs until Babe Ruth was in the <laughs> right, league. Exactly. You think Nobody they ever instead? did it before. <laughs> uh, Everything was uh, just a grounder. Right, right. Uh, uh, Jason, how many times did, uh, did our, our guy Dickerson, comma, buttercup, lead the league in triples?
1: Lead the league. The league was smaller, I'm assuming. Uh, it was, um, less prestigious. Uh, it was maybe not uh-huh, national. Uh-huh. I don't know. Um, okay, okay. Lead the league in triples. How many times? Like distinct. Uh, this is like yeah.
4: Jeff Goldblum answering this question. Uh, I,
0: I, I also I, have a question. I mean, I'll, I'll ask your question once I've answered Is this at the end of the Please?
1: Okay. I'm, well, I'm trying my to time. help you. What? All right. Yes. I'm going to say that he led the league three times in triples. Okay. All
2: right, three times in the base hit that gets you three bases. All right, locking it in, Harry. Are you going to bloom this, or do you have any questions that I can clarify? I'm going to go with twice, Cody. Thank you. All right, locking it in twice, and now Aaron, do you, do you have a question or a Gold bloom impression uh, I mean, that my, I need to I think address? My answer is
0: easy here. Yeah. So is leading. So someone who's not really into baseball, does leading the sure. league mean at the end of the season it is yep. counted up? Yes. Yeah, so, it is not. Yes. Yeah, so, someone right. takes the lead in a season and does not. right.
2: Oh, no, that would be impossible to, to quantify or at least, like, yeah, right. get records, records of from, from so long ago. Yeah,
0: no, i yeah, just
2: be, so at, at the end of the year, whoever has the most of the thing or, like, the best rate of doing a certain this, thing, they would yeah. lead the league Does
1: that. this materially change your answer, though, Aaron? Like, yes. how does that information oh, yeah, change, I mean, change
4: how, if he, like, if he took it? the lead in triples, that would be, like, oh, I yeah, mean, told I, us. 17 times or whatever.
1: Oh, okay,
0: okay. I mean, he told us how many years, I mean, here's the thing, I, I, Buttercup Buttercup uh uh Buttercup uh, Dickerson <laughs> Buttercup Dickerson Buttercup uh trip triple leader Dickerson uh, as you became known <laughs> uh I'm going to I'm going <laughs> to yeah. say 4 uh, just to fucking yeah, I can't you
4: believe know. you you said all that just to do the obvious Just
3: to answer. do 4 <laughs> Well <the laughs> like you said three, it was
0: like yeah of course that's going to be it you know
2: For some reason but triple yes, leader four. Dickerson really got to me um, okay
0: leader. they triple called the triple Dickerson, Dickerson. There, yeah, that's, okay, I, Harry, I, that's I, I think that here. I think this one You crossed it right there, bud. Okay,
2: uh, old Triple Dick Dickerson over here. Uh, and finally, how many teams did Buttercup Triple Dick Dickerson play for in his career? Uh, his seven-year career, I, I should say. Um, he took the year eighteen eighty-two off for a reason that I could not find out. But in his seven-year career, how many teams did Buttercup Dickerson play for, Jason? Uh, two different teams. Two different teams over to harry what do you think i guess i'll go with three different teams three different teams locking it in and finally over to aaron what do you think
0: old loyal buttercup dickerson only played for one team of course yeah uh, he know ne- he would never switch up you know on his, his hometown like that
2: mm-hmm i gotcha. can't okay. aim, but it's yes yeah, yeah. i'm gonna say one no that's that's fair. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm not going to name the teams either. I There, are a lot. The teams back then did not match up to what they are now. So, if you're interested yeah, in the also, team or teams that he played for, yeah, go look them up. They're literally reference.
4: all terrible racial epitaphs. Every single team in baseball back then. So we can't say any of them.
2: Yeah, that, uh, that is unfortunately how that works. Um, but thank you very much, gentlemen. I'll j- just to get ahead of it. This has been the Princess Tried. I will now read off the correct figures so buttercup dickerson's uh, listed weight is as according to baseball reference 140 pounds whoa
4: soaking wet shrimp i I think it was dry like like i'm pretty sure that so small yeah
0: yeah it's like baseball players are either yeah super like like rails and super small or big old chubby fellows. who well, just to, I thought. You know, I thought he was going to be around.
1: chubby boy. Like when again, cor- well, but even
0: same. chubby guys were like, he's fine today.
4: Yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, when was corn syrup invented? I feel like that had a definite <laughs> effect a on the average weight.
3: <laughs>
2: yeah. Uh, for easier tracking I'll just say again scores coming into this uh two for Jason, two for Harry, one for Aaron. Uh Harry was closest with his guess of 165 so he gets the point there. Uh moving along to uh, how old was Buttercup Dickerson when he passed away? He was uh sadly for him but gladly for Aaron 61 years old. Poop When he when he left this this mortal My guess was his exactly 61. It was. Uh so ah, that's a point for idea. Aaron. You're 59. Yeah, that's, uh,
1: yeah. I was thinking the same thing. Sometimes being Just dishonorable kidding, has
0: its advantages. Uh,
1: Often. In this case. Yeah, in yes. fact. Don't, <laughs> don't tell <laughs> anybody in America. Out. Imperial powers, yeah. Uh,
2: next, how many times did Buttercup Dickerson lead the league in triples? And that was, of course, one time, which Harry was closest to with his guess of two. Nice. So, um, so there's that. And finally, how many teams did Buttercup Dickerson play for in his career over the course of seven seasons? He played for eight teams. Pope. In what? Yeah.
0: It turns Old out that. Buttercup Dickerson?
4: <laughs> Back then, there were just like 20,000 teams in baseball. They were all yeah. like every I, single well,
2: person in the United States of America belonged to a baseball team. I think the other thing about it, Buttercup Dickerson was, was barely holding on to his roster spot. And so there was a more shuffling of him between. Various rosters. I don't know. Not gonna try to rationalize. Buttercup wasn't, yeah. wasn't a big. He thing? wasn't he an really MVP. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> he had a, he had a couple solid years. I mean, obviously he led the league in triples one year. That was, it, but that was in one of his better years. And then I also think that's that probably night, he like just, three
4: triples. <laughs>
2: he probably hit like no, two triples no, in a year. He had, I want to say he had like double digits. Oh, really? Um, like, okay, like twelve that's pretty or something. Good, really? Pretty again, good, Buttercup. Again, they didn't hit dingers back then. It was like you know how like it, it, they like didn't try to. If you hit a you know you put a little yeah. on it, you could get a triple easily. And uh if, he if had that you, old Buttercup hitting
4: a home run was considered bad decorum, people were like, "Okay, show off." It was considered on. satanic. <laughs>
0: like, yeah, you, would get, yeah. you would get killed by a local mob. I
3: yeah, mean, people make this joke about yeah. like
0: basketball players, but like he would die if he played in a game. You know what I mean? If you if right. he was up against the Yankees who get run oh, over yeah. at I mean, some like, point, you know what I mean? All baseball yeah.
4: players now are like super cyborgs compared to like yeah. literally even 20 years
2: ago. It's insane. <laughs> right. And furthermore, baseballs back then were basically made of like wet rolled up newspaper. You know, yeah, like, just like <laughs> a rag. Big old softies. Yeah. Um, all that is to say, uh, Harry won this, this week's round. So the pop-off platform is his in whatever way he wants to use it.
4: I had the moral victory. Now I have the actual victory. Get ready for a whole lot more of this. It's my year, baby. It's April, but the year starts now. It's the last day of April, but the the year starts now, and it's my year, baby. So
0: stay tuned. I don't.
1: I. I don't know, man. Uh, This episode does come out in May, right? This episode will be coming out in May. We were recording
0: Um, in April, though. We were, and that's when I won. Peak the
1: curtain. And I thank you for listening on whatever day of May or June or July, etc. you listen to this episode on. Uh, dear listener, I will say one last plug. Check out parasphere.org, the Trilon's blog, for a piece called Sick Day Story Allegory. I'm assuming that's a fun play on the rhyming convention that Inigo and, Fez- and Fezik have. Very fun. Uh, the Princess Bride integrates grief on the sly by jake rudiger i'm hoping i'm pronouncing your name correctly jake for parasphere um check it out it's a fun take on whether or not uh fred savage's character is actually coming to grips with the death of, death of his father through the uh story being told in the princess bride check it out and check out other writing on other movies that we've covered and ones that we haven't on trilove at parasphere.org but for right now uh follow us on twitter at Trilove podcast follow the try tryline at *Trial on cinema and go to try for tickets and merch and other cool ways to support the try here in minneapolis minnesota check out their upcoming schedule check out what's playing see if you want to talk about one of those movies and get in touch with us at try love podcast on twitter uh don't talk to me but i'm jason Daphnis on twitter at NintendoFus.
2: uh talk to jason i've been cody narvison you can find me on twitter at cody underscore bh
0: i've been harry mack and you can find me on
2: twitter at shiitake harry
0: and i've been aaron i'm on twitter at RBPlease.
2: good night wesley good work sleep well i'll most likely kill you in the morning.
5: Love was stronger than the power so dark a prince could have within his keeping. His spells to weave and steal a heart within her breast, but only sleeping. My love is like a storybook story, but it's as real as.